Now, it's CSL, Charlotte Sports Live. All right, well, the Super Bowl is in Vegas, and uh, if you're not watching it, it's still going on. We're going to give you the latest once the game goes final. It's been a great one, though, between the 49ers and the Chiefs tonight. Yes, it has, and Super Bowl Sunday just means one thing. The NASCAR season begins in exactly one week from today. The Daytona 500 is on the horizon. We've got that and more on Charlotte Sports Live starting right now. And welcome in this Super Bowl Sunday. I'm Carly Gebhardt alongside Grace Grill, and there is no one more upset that we are not watching very in. <laughs> they the had Super to drag Bowl right us now. from our desk to uh, host the show tonight. We were supposed to give you the update, the final winner. We were going to have all the highlights for you right now, but uh, yeah, we got to wait a little bit longer for that and Great for the game, game to wrap though. up. Uh, it's still tied though. I've got my phone right here, so it's been great. It's yeah. been a good. Uh, we loved Usher. We yeah. got we got some mixed reviews from depending on what age you were in the in the we loved in the it newsroom. though because we're yeah closer in age that's right all right well with the end of the NFL season so begins the promise of what next season can bring and no one feeling that more than your Carolina Panthers we've got comments from a Carolina great about his optimism for next season a Carolina great who could find himself in Canton next sub next summer plus we officially switch gears to NASCAR as the sport begins a new season Sunday in Daytona but first we do start with the season finale of the NFL out in Vegas and uh, I guess this is gonna be our update too, grace but the Super Bowl is still currently oh. tied 19 apiece I think the Niners had the ball the last I looked don't really know but uh yeah that was thanks to a 29 yard kick made by Harrison Bucker of the Chiefs if you're a Chiefs fan you love that yeah, if you're a Niners fan, you don't love that. Um, but, yeah, we've talked a little bit about this. But, I mean, I don't think you could ask for anything else uh, for, from a Super Bowl perspective, right? I mean, I, not necessarily did I have, like, a dog in this fight. Kind of wanted the Niners to win, kind of the CMC connection, yeah. the former Panthers, th to see those guys get a ring. Um, but I think when I just heard clapping, so I don't know <laughs> if that means that the Niners know. scored or not. Um, but, yeah, I think you if you don't have a dog in the fight, you weren't really you weren't really sure of how this game would shake out, right? Both of these teams not really well liked outside of their fan bases. Um, and, and it's been a really good game. I've been very interested all night. Well, I think that was the big thing is that that right off the bat, we saw how physical of a game this is going to be, which, which you want that, right? There was so much hype in the lead-up to this. It was, you know, the, the Chiefs kind of starting that, are, are they the new Patriots? Are they that new dynasty? You heard Patrick Mahomes talk about how if they want to be the villain, they're fine with that. They just want to keep winning. On top of that, you had all the Taylor Swift fans <laughs> jumping in on <laughs> this right. Super Bowl. Some <laughs> like the Taylor Swift intro to the NFL, some don't. So there was just, there were so many outside storylines other than it just being a really good matchup with these two teams. And it definitely, I think, lived up to the hype. Yeah, so apparently Christian McCaffrey just rushed eight yards or to the eight yards. So maybe they're closing in on another touchdown. Again, we'll keep you updated and we'll show you the full highlights a little bit later. But let's uh, go on to the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, moving on to the Panthers. Their offseason, more specifically, Carolina continues to round out their staff. According to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, the Panthers have hired Will Harriger. As their quarterbacks coach, Harriger has previous experience with head coach Dave Canales in Seattle, and maybe this more important, he even has experience working with Bryce Young in his earlier days through QB Collective. So maybe a pairing there with some familiarity could see some success this season. All right, keeping with the NFL Network, Luke Keekley spotted yesterday on the network talking about the Super Bowl matchup, but he was also asked about his Carolina Panthers and what he thought about all the changes heading into this offseason. Essentially, Keekley's comments boiled down to these three reasons why he is an optimist about the Panthers' upcoming season. He mentioned Bryce Young's toughness, taking 62 sacks a season and jumping right back up, no complaints. 
He also said how huge it is to get Adriel Evero back as the defensive coordinator. And he also said that he was excited about Dan Morgan's vision as the Panthers' new general manager. So that's those were basically his comments on the network. And and it's, it's nothing new than what we've been saying here on our show nightly, is that right. these are all positives to look at. It's a positive until we actually see it play out. But there's no reason yet for us to not be an optimist about yeah no I mean I loved his comments uh, what he said about Bryce Young and listen there were a lot of questions about Bryce Young's size going into this season his toughness though after this the fact that he didn't I think Luke Eakley even mentioned he didn't even miss a game he came back um, and, and just showed that toughness that he has as a player uh, Ajero Avero obviously that is going to be a key component to the defense of course Keekley would know that uh, being a, a linebacker defensive player the kind of defensive player that he was um, but I thought maybe his most interesting comments were about Dan Morgan, right? I, I loved what he said. He said something to the fact of Dan Morgan is not going to ask anything of his players that he wasn't as a player. And I love that. I love the fact that he's going to not only be able to speak to the business side of these decisions, but he's going to be able to speak to a player. And he's not going to be asking you anything that he didn't already do. And I think not only is that good for Dan Morgan, but I think that's good for the players too, right? To, to have that respect for your general manager that's been there, done that, and, and has been on the other side. Absolutely. We also just got an update from our control room. Niners field goal, 22-19. Oh so we're getting there with Super Bowl. But, yeah, everything that, that Keekly said about Dan Morgan and your comments there I agree with and, and you have to I understand that there was like the, the fan the fan concern about him being Scott Fitterer's right-hand guy and it's like okay well if he's not afraid to speak up then why didn't he kind of speak up in that room you don't know what the control dynamics were or even the pressure Scott Fitter was on we, we just don't know but what we do know about Dan Morgan is that he is a dog as he wants so you would <laughs> assume right. that that guy knows how to go and get a couple other dogs and you just you got to give him a chance yeah, absolutely. All right, speaking of Luke Keekley, hard to believe that it's been four years already since we've seen him play in a Carolina uniform, but Keekley is eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In 2025, he played all eight seasons with the Panthers before his retirement in 2020, Defensive Rookie of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year in back-to-back seasons, five first-time team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler. The accolades go on. We literally can't list them all to you. But listen, hey, we asked you on Twitter tonight. We said, is Luke Keekley a first ballot Hall of Famer? Now, I voted yes on this, Grace. I don't know how you voted, but 75%. That's pretty good. Um, and I think a lot of people do agree with this. Yeah, I voted yes as well. And I, I, to be completely honest, I didn't watch Luke Keekley as a Panther just because where I was from up north, we just right. we weren't watching the Carolina Panthers. Sorry, guys, right? But I have made it my offseason, like, to go back thing as yeah. I have gone back the past couple weeks I'm on like week three or whatever and gone back and watched the games of the 2015 season because I can read about it I know the stats but it's different when you when you feel it yeah. and you live those games and I mean he's he was just a player he was a game ruiner yeah like and, and you talk to some of the guys like I've, I've heard Greg Olson speak to this he was also a practice ruiner like Greg Olson has sp spoken to the fact that they'd have to take him out of reps and practice just because he was so smart of a player he was so instinctive and I think the Hall of Fame should be about those those players that no matter how long you played, no matter if you won a Super Bowl or not, who had an impact when they were on the field. Yeah. To me, that's what it means to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for sure.
All right, well, Luke on the list, but one former Panther great is now golden. Julius Peppers is a first ballot Hall of Famer as of this week. He was announced as part of the seven-member class of 2024 on Thursday. He's the second Panthers legend in three years to enter the Hall of Fame, joining Mr. Keep Pounding himself, linebacker Sam Mills. Here's a special moment he shared with current owners David and Nicole Tepper telling them how he found out. When did they tell me? Oh, it's been about two weeks now. It's been about two weeks now, yeah. So what they say? Did they, they call you from the hall or did they? No, they so so they came to the house. Yeah. They came to the house. Um, yeah. You know, I was in the back and um, in one of my son's room and you know they came out. It was like, Dad, somebody at the door. Somebody knocking at the door. <laughs> I was like, who is it? I was like, who is it? All right, we are not done talking about the Panthers or Super Bowls. Up next, we're going to combine them and go back in time with Moose and Muhammad to reminisce on the 20 or 2003 season. And at the moment, a Charlotte native is scheduled to be in the main event at this year's WrestleMania. We've got all the details on the big announcement from Friday's SmackDown at the Section Center. And the trade deadline is over for the Hornets, but they're still making roster moves today. Hear what player is no more in the Queen City. And what player will forever be enshrined in Buzz City. That's next when Charlotte Sports Live returns. Back here on Charlotte Sports Live. Well, the Carolina Panthers have made the Super Bowl two times before, in 2003 and 2015, but have never hoisted the Lombardi Trophy. However, four teams have never made it to the big game, those being the Jacksonville Jaguars, Cleveland Browns, the Houston Texans, and the Detroit Lions. Now, three points. That is all that separated the Panthers from a Super Bowl win back in 2004. The game was as wild as they come, and we're not talking about the streaker or the infamous wardrobe <laughs> malfunction from Janet Jackson at halftime. Fans still talk about that night, and as Mike Lissette recently learned, they're not the only ones. It has been 20 years, but talking about Super Bowl 38 still gets Panthers legend Moose and Muhammad all fired up. Well, let me just uh, clear, clarify, I, I still haven't recovered. He came this close. They all did to beating the Patriots and winning it all back in 2004. Over the years, it's gotten easier to accept. But then Super Bowl weekend rolls around and Moose admits the emotions always come flooding back. Not only does it replay in my mind, it replays on TV and then, you know, I get a bunch of calls and texts and people reminding me of, you know, how close and how tight that game was. What if? That's a question the former wide receiver asked himself a lot. What if the Panthers offense kicked in a little earlier? What if John Casey's late kick didn't go out of bounds? And lastly, what if the game went into overtime? No disrespect to their defense, but they were missing quite a few good players there. And I think had that gone in the overtime, um, you know, we could have went right back down the field at a minimum, put ourselves in field goal position, but probably scored as well. Oh, the agony. But that begs the question, is it better to have played and lost in the big game than to have never played at all? If you know the type of competitor Muhammad is, well, his answer shouldn't surprise you. I've been blessed enough to play in that game um, multiple times and have uh, really good performances both times uh, played in that game. So, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, to love and loss, you know, I guess I'll go with that one. So don't feel bad for him is ultimately what he's saying. Despite coming up short again in the big game a few years later with the Bears, he still has no regrets. Hey, it's two decades later, and his 85-yard score still stands as the Super Bowl's record for longest touchdown reception. I'll be uh, 
embracing it and, until someone uh, goes out there and beats it. But even when that happens, Moose will still be a part of history. Yeah, it's easy to get fired up about that. Mike Lissette, Charlotte Sports Live. I think our biggest thing, uh, especially for me, uh, was to go out and, and, you know, give 110%, go out and compete every night and, you know, not worry about what they got going on, but try to, you know, win their love back and their support back through the game that, they, that we all know that they love here in Charlotte. Well, as Jared Wallace was being honored by the Hornets last night, you heard him take a moment to reflect how tough it was to rebuild a fan base here in Charlotte during the early years of the Bobcats. Those early years were filled with a lot of losses, which is very similar to how it's been lately here for the Charlotte Hornets. However, as we saw last night, there are maybe a couple of signs of a turnaround following Thursday's trade deadline. The Hornets welcomed their five new players, and for the most part, they all made a pretty positive impact in last night's win over Memphis. Among the newcomers, newcomers Vasa Michich and Grant Williams were the standouts with 18 and 15 respectively. Don't look now though, but head coach Steve Clifford actually prepared to be happy, happy after this game. I mean, the thing is this, is that um, we haven't even practiced and you saw the ball movement. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, for me, it potentially looks like this, you know, like the two things you want in this league is one is, you know, smart, high IQ guys. Um, I think we added a bunch of those. And then also, I think there's a, very much a veteran presence that they, they're going to bring to our locker room. Now the challenge is going to be keeping it going. That starts with the Pacers tomorrow night. Then they get to stay at home against Atlanta on Wednesday before hitting the road for a four-game stint. First against the Jazz, and then it's the Golden Warriors where current the Curry brothers will get to face off once again. All right, well, we are not done talking to Hornets by a long shot. We're just, just ahead. We're getting the inside story on why Miles Bridges was not traded Thursday and what this means for the future here in Charlotte. And Charlotte FC is putting together a nice preseason. We'll hear from new head coach Dean Smith on the team's progress coming up next here on Charlotte Sports Live. All right, checking in on Charlotte FC, who's still out west right now, wrapping up their second phase of training camp in California. They'll have their final friendly February 17th against Minnesota United at 1 p.m. Eastern. After that, they'll tra travel back to Charlotte in preparation for their first match against New York City FC, which means we are just 13 days away from the start of the season. And it's been a pretty pretty much all positive in the preseason as Charlotte has gone 2-1-1 one one in preseason friendlies after picking up the 1-0 win over San Jose yesterday. Dean Smith challenging his squad early with adapting to his new system and putting them in constant decision-making decision scenarios to speed up their development and understand the system from multiple positions on the pitch. They've all shown a really good application, as I've said right from the, the off, that all taking on board the information that we're giving them. They understand not just what they're meant to be doing in their positions, but other player, what other players are meant to be doing in their positions as well, because they can coach each other on the pitch then. So it's really important that, you know, they, they understand what we're trying to do, you know, in different positions on the pitch. Uh, I think once you get that, you get that understanding and you get that belief uh, from each other, then you, you get continuity within the team. 
All right, some other updates from the club too. Brant Bronico suffered a thigh injury that will keep him out for a couple of weeks. Christian Kalina and Curran Vargas are still trying to get their green cards. Vargas will be back next week, and Kalina is expected to be back in time for the season opener. Well, we are finally just one week away from the Daytona 500, and if you're not ready yet, then you need to be watching us every night leading up to next Sunday so we can help you get caught up on all the storylines. But the biggest thing you need to know is that NASCAR's biggest race actually comes first. Those that win are forever called a champion. This is the 66th running of the Great American Race. There are 40 spots in the field, 36 charters, and five open cars, which include Kaz Grala, David Reagan, Anthony Alfred, and BJ McLeod, and seven-time Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson, which, if you were doing the math, that means one car will be left out. The cars will qualify Wednesday night for the duels, which will be Thursday night. Those two races will set the starting lineup for Sunday's big race. Now, I could tell you how big of a deal this race is, but you don't want to hear from me, so let's send it over to College Racing's A.J. Almendinger to do just that. Everything that goes into all the pre-race festivities, when they announce your name and you walk out on that long stage with all the crowd surrounding you, it's not like any other race. You know, some, I, I don't know what other drivers say, but it, but it's not, you know, your emotions, at least mine are, are, you know, they're ramped up more. I'm nervous. Uh, it's kind of weird. It, it's like, you know, before the race, you're, I'm almost in a little bit of tears because you're, for me, the, you know, still having the ability and the opportunity to, to be in our biggest race of the sport nerves and then you strap in and then once you strap in it is like every other race but everything that leads up to it uh it's way bigger than than most races that we go to Now, if there's anyone that's looking to have a resurgence of sorts in NASCAR, it is Stuart Haas Racing who went winless in 2023. Now, Ryan Priest has yet to win a NASCAR Cup Series race, and he knows just what a Daytona 500 win would do for his career. His last time out on the track, though, did not go as planned with a scary crash at Daytona International Speedway back in August. It's one of the many topics we covered in our sit-down this offseason. Let's just talk about your career. I mean, the last couple of years have been all over a little bit in a sense, and now to have just the establishment that you have in Stuart Haas Racing, how good does that feel uh, for you personally? Uh, for me personally, it's obviously really good going into a second year uh, with a team and, and a crew chief that you, you get along really well with, right? So that feels really good, but at the same time, I'm I'm not somebody that beats around the bush. I, I want to win. Uh, that's That's... Why I've taken all the risks along the way to get here. And um, so, yeah, that's that's the goal this year. is isn't just one. We want to win multiple. What's your offseason been like to prepare for that? It started as soon as we landed from Phoenix. Um, you know, some people go on vacations. And for me, and, and I feel like my crew chief, Chad, is the same way as well. Um, we were frustrated. We were frustrated with this year. Uh, we, we had high expectations, as I'm sure everybody at SHR did. And... We didn't want to just say, hey, it'll be there in January. So we went to work. And, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you can do um, to look at some of the trends or what things we may have liked. So, yeah, we've just been working on 2024. And it all starts at Daytona. How do you, you know, get out on the right foot when it comes to the super speedway there? Uh, you don't do what we did back in August. <laughs> that That's a good step. But certainly... Um, you know, having fast race cars makes usually everything a lot easier. You can be a lot more aggressive and, and put yourself in a, um, in a good position. So 
really for us, it's going to be trying to keep track position, do all the right things, and hopefully win. I know Stuart Haas is, you know, in a rebranding, rebuild era, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but you're like tough as nails after, you know, the video of your wreck and obviously coming back uh, the race right after that last season. What was the response that you got from that? Because it kind of gained a lot of attention out there. Yeah, well, I don't think you want to flip 13 times in the <clears throat> air in a 3,500-pound race car, but, right. you know, to me, as a racer, like, we wreck. It, it, to me, it's no different, but to, like, my wife or my right. father, I felt like it did more damage to them than it did me, seeing me uh, the way I was uh, during that week. So, certainly lucky um, to have safe race cars because, I mean, when you really think about it, you're inches away from death. And uh, for me, I, I love racing, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win. So, if that's... Uh, that's the risk. That's that's what it is. I mean, and kind of going off of that, too, I know, like, if you talk to NFL football players, they're always like, you have to have a different mindset when it comes to going, you know, 100 miles an hour, hitting someone. Yeah. The same can be said for a race car driver, especially in NASCAR with how fast you go. I mean, it's a risk you take every day. Oh, absolutely. We, uh, like like you said, it's just one of those risks, and we're we're okay with that, and it's just we're numb to it, so... Going into uh, into Daytona, it's going to be no different than than you know last year's Daytona for me. All right, well, the Charlotte 49ers survived today, but those San Francisco 49ers did not. We will have college hoops and a Super Bowl update for you coming up in just a little bit. And there were five new faces in the Hornets lineup last night against the Grizzlies. And coming up, the inside scoop on how they all got to Charlotte. That's next here on Charlotte Sports Live. Well, Charlotte native Seth Curry was one of five new players the Hornets brought in just before Thursday's trade deadline. That's not to mention the three draft picks they also received as well. To recap it all, Mike Lissette and Gabe McDonald spoke with longtime NBA scout Stephen Giles earlier this week. All right, so joining us to talk about the moves the Hornets made, longtime NBA scout Stephen Giles. First off, do you like the moves? I do. I think they had a successful day, and, and more importantly, from it. Everyone I heard around the league, the, the general sense of the league was the Hornets had a very positive day. And, there, of course, there was a lot of talk surrounding Miles Bridges, of course, coming off some great games here. There was talk about him possibly being moved. Why do you think he wanted to remain in Charlotte after obviously signing that qualifying offer before the season? Very clear to maintain his bird rights. The, Miles has the best chance of getting the best contract by staying with the Hornets, even if that ends up being a sign-and-trade deal where he ends up going to another team by spending another year or at least till the summer with Charlotte, having his bird rights, chances are he will make more money than he had signed with another team or been traded, traded and then signed with another team this offseason. You know, there seem to be some emerging reports today that, that maybe the Hornets would want to keep him around to, and give him another deal. Uh, this is something they didn't want to do last summer. What do you make of all this? Well, from what I understand, the agents for some of their players today affected their decision-making. Uh, supposedly, Bridges' representation went to the Hornets uh, either today or maybe even previously and said they would veto any trade. So they essentially took that option off the table, not sure that they could have gotten one done anyway. It would have been a difficult needle to thread, but the report is that their representation removed the option they said that they would not accept a trade 
or that they would veto a trade today. Very similar with Gordon Hayward's representation, uh, indicating that he would not be open to a buyout. And uh, much to the surprise, I think, of many around the league, uh, the Hornets were successful in moving him, uh, despite him uh, declining that he would that he would not do a buyout. So they really came out much better that way. And Stephen, sources tell us that the new owners, Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall, had a lot to do with the moves that the Hornets made at the deadline. What kind of message do you think they are sending to the league and the fans right now? Well, I think they're, they are heavily invested. They're obviously showing their smarts. They Again, I talked to front office people around the league today. They thought they did a great job. They were very complimentary. And they did indicate that it was mostly the owners involved in these moves, that they were hands-on. Um, Rick Schnall and, and Gabe Plotkin were hands-on in these deals. And by and large, the league was impressed with what they did. Obviously getting away with that fat uh, $31 million contract from Hayward, a big thing. But they also got, okay, they got uh, first-round draft pick, two second-round draft picks, and a bunch of guys who are able to play now of the new guys, who do you see making the biggest impact on the Hornets this year? Well, there's several guys that come to mind. First of all, I'm very intrigued to see Vasily Micic play. You're talking about a guy that was the best player in Europe for the last three, four, maybe even five years, was the EuroLeague MVP in 2020-21, was a two-time EuroLeague Final Four MVP, and he would have come to the NBA sooner had Oklahoma City, he had seen a pathway to playing time with Oklahoma City. But with all of their guards, all of the depth that they had, it just wasn't there for him. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. I think Coach Clifford is going to really enjoy the opportunity to coach him. Vasily Micic is a good player. Grant Williams, a Charlotte native, I think is going to relish the opportunity to come home. Obviously played a big role on very good Boston Celtics teams. Things did not go the way Dallas and Grant had hoped in Dallas, but there's no doubt that Grant Williams is an impact defensive player and he can make an open three-point shot. And then lastly, Trey Mann uh, was a good point guard at the University of Florida, saw more minutes in Oklahoma City prior to the arrival of Michich and Kaysen Wallace. And again, you could go on with a depth chart in Oklahoma City. He's another player that's not without talent, and now with an opportunity in Charlotte, may be able to, with one only one more guaranteed year on his deal, may be able to show that, that he's a better player uh, given the opportunity. One last thing through all of this, and obviously the trade, the team did waive uh, James Booknight. What ultimately do you think was the reason why he just never took off here in Charlotte for him? Uh, I, I think the reasons were outside of the basketball floor, uh, very clearly. Um, I think Booknight had issues that went beyond basketball. Uh, some of the incidents that, that everyone knows about, um, I think, precipitated that. But I think the underlying issue uh, needed to be addressed. And frankly, there are things that have nothing to do with basketball mm -hmm. that I think until he addresses those things, his basketball career won't get back on track. If there's a man that knows more about the NBA than Stephen Giles, I have yet to meet him. Steve, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. You're too kind. Thanks for having me. 
All right, it is time for the quickest two minutes in all of sports. We got meteorologist Andrew Brightman joining us again tonight. Andrew, I know this is like the bright spot to your night after you're done with the news, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, it is. I love doing this every week. I'm so happy that you guys keep inviting me back. It's an absolute privilege. Carly. It's all the homework and all the good answers that you do and give us. So let's go ahead and put two minutes on the clock. Andrew, what Panthers coordinator, what hire excites you the most for the upcoming season? Well, I'm going to talk about the Buccaneers offensive coordinator that we brought here to be our head coach. It's all about Dave Canales because when it comes down to our first overall pick, Bryce Young, we have to have the right coach to work with him. What he did with Baker Mayfield this past season, I'm really hoping that things can finally turn the corner for the Panthers. I don't think you're alone in that hope either. All right, Grace, are you surprised that the Hornets wave Kyle Lowry today? No, I think this is kind of a move we all saw coming. I think this was this was part of the deal, right, to move Terry Rozier, and they wanted that 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 first round pick from Miami. So it was like, okay, we're going to offload that on you. So I think they're going to try to maybe get something for him. But I think after with what they were able to get in the other trades, this was this was an easy deal. All right, Andrew, keeping with the Hornets, did their roster get better this week? It's, it's really tough to say. Like, I don't think Seth Curry is going to be the cornerstone on one of our championship teams down the road here when it comes to the Hornets. But could we get a good first-round pick in 2027 from the Mavericks? At this stage, in terms of the progress for the Hornets, is can we actually get a good pick with that first-round pick in 2027? Yeah, a lot of questions there. Grace, who is your pick to win the Daytona 500 next week? I know it's always hard to predict these things, but who would you Especially choose? for someone like me. But you know what? <laughs> I am rolling with the, with the guy who had the hot wheel to end last season. I'm going with Ryan Blaney. He All won. Right. there last year and and I am read up on this Carla you should be proud of me that he would be the first uh, series champion to win the Daytona since Dale Jarrett in 2000. Oh nice. I like That'd be fun. That. Yeah it would be fun. All right Andrew scale from one to ten what would you rate Usher's halftime Super Bowl show tonight? You know I felt like I was transported back to 2006 in like my ninth grade <laughs> formal where I was too scared to go walk up to a girl and ask her to dance but overall still a great performance just also putting a lot of guys in their 40s on blast. <laughs> no dad bods there. All right, Grace, what is the best Super Bowl commercial of, I'm going to say all time? I was going to say I couldn't really watch a whole lot today with us working it. Right. That we were trying to watch the game and put the show together. But I say all time, the one that always comes to my mind is, I don't even remember what year it's from, but the Doritos commercial with yeah. that little kid where he's like, keep your hands off my mama and keep your hands <laughs> off my Doritos. Yeah, that's a very memorable one. Also, the Duncan commercial tonight, that gets uh, major props from us. Too. And the Budweiser, you always like the puppies, they always get me. Yeah. Well, here it is. It's here's how it happened. Mahomes to Hardman. And the Chiefs are your Super Bowl champs. The final score in this one, 25 to 22. And let's bring in a guy now who was there for it all at the end. We missed it because we were on live television. But Derek Forrest, you were there. I just want to know the reaction to this game because it was a lot better game than some of us anticipated. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. This one was a good one. As you mentioned, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, they fall in this one by the score of 25 to 22 to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And what more can you say about Patrick Mahomes? Wins another MVP, Super Bowl MVP, and was outstanding in this one. And no one thought it was going to be a defensive battle like we saw in that first half. And then, ironically enough, Vegas nailed it. They were 47 and a half over under on this one. They scored 47 points between the two of them. So they 
they were right there on it. But back to Patrick Mahomes, 34-46 for 333 yards, two touchdowns. Then he had nine carries for 66 yards on the ground. So he was absolutely stellar uh, in getting this, uh, the third title for the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Now he's going to be put on that pedestal of being compared to Tom Brady. Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl titles. Mahomes now three. So now he's always going to have that comparison. Can he catch Tom Brady after the game? Mahomes already said they're not done, so he's already thinking about a Super Bowl title number four. Derek Grace Grill here. Good to see you, my old my old colleague from D.C. But just, you know, there was so much hype around this game, and, you know, no one was ever going to, to count out the Kansas City Chiefs. But were, were you impressed with how San Francisco handled themselves in this game? Yeah, I mean, so I think – when I look at San Francisco and when I've always looked at them throughout the postseason, especially this week, I kind of felt like experience was going to end up being the factor at mm. the end of the game. And I, I felt like we saw that here at the end. Brock Purdy did more than what he needed to do to keep this team close and, and, and to get a victory. But I, I think you saw a little bit more experience with the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. Not also to mention, we saw a lot of injuries today for the 49ers and especially Dre Greenshaw, uh, Greenlaw, excuse me. I don't know if you guys saw, he ended up uh, hurting his ACL trying to get back onto the field. I think at the end of the day, that played a big role in this game as well. And again, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, they show time and time again why they are turning into a dynasty by, by picking up another Super Bowl title. I know we have you for just a few more seconds, but just how was the atmosphere there? Because from watching at home and watching on television, it seemed incredible. Oh, it was outstanding. So it, they ended up with 61,629 fans there. Uh, it was absolutely electric. The one thing that I was a little disappointed with everyone obviously wearing red, wearing their team colors. It would have been nice to be able to, differ to differentiate the two sides. But man, was it loud in there. This is my first game in Allegiant Stadium in the Dome. It was an incredible experience, and uh, it was one heck of a finish for a Super Bowl. Well, an incredible game, too. Derek, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Super the Super Bowl wasn't the only live game on tonight. We had a couple of big college basketball games were in action as well, starting with with Charlotte coming off their first loss as they look to get back on track. Second half, that's Lakai Patterson. He had 22 points tonight and joined the 1,000-point club, so congratulations to him. Charlotte in the midst of an 11-0 run. It included this bucket here from Deshaun Jackson down low. He's off the glass and give him the foul as well. Charlotte up by as many as 14, but then a crazy thing happened. The Niners went ice cold. In fact, they didn't score a field goal for the final six minutes. The Owls taking advantage of that. That's Kaiser Miller. Gets Temple within two. Aaron Fern is like, what the heck is going on? Final seconds, Owls with the chance to tie. Mateo Piccarelli off the mark. And Charlotte, very fortunate in this one. Niners survive on the road, 73-70. All right, well, how about some women's basketball? Got a ranked matchup between UConn and South Carolina today. First quarter, South Carolina five, and KK Arnold goes in for the layup down the court, but Ashley Watkins going to deny her. That's some good defense right there. You love to see that. And then how about Tiana Pow Pow? If you're familiar with her, you know she's a good shooter, but she gets hot in the second quarter. First, she's going to knock down this triple, and then later, Pow Pow sidesteps, connects for another three. She's, I mean, she's just flowing. I know.
it's so much fun to say her last name. And then, yeah, she gets a step back jumper again. Pow Pow leads the game top with 21 points. South Carolina up by 14 at the half, third quarter. It's Malaysia Fulwiley gets the steal and finishes at the other end. Number one, South Carolina, South Carolina remains undefeated. They win this one 83 to 65. All right, UNC at Duke for the women's side of the Tobacco Road rivalry. Alyssa Utsby for UNC drives, shot fake, and yeah, count that. Tar Heels with an eight-point lead in the third quarter. We move to the fourth. We got a Charlotte native, Charlotte native sighting. Reagan Richardson gets a long court pass in transition, and she lays it in. Duke, don't count them out. They're working to come back. 0.5 seconds on the clock. Game is tied at 53. Utsby for the win. It is no good, and we are going to overtime. So this is where Duke would take over. Tana Mare, she's going to collect the loose ball in the corner, and she drains the triple to seal this one. Duke wins it 68-60 over North Carolina in OT. You love that after UNC on the men's side beat Duke. But uh, yeah, you didn't need a DeLorean to go back in time Friday here in Charlotte. We caught up with a lot of famous wrestlers from yesterday, including WWE Hall of Famer Sergeant Slaughter. Keep it here on CSL. A sergeant would say, that's an order. And if you want to find championships in Carolina, we've got good news. You're about to have your selection of places to watch winning in the state. That's all coming up next here on Charlotte Sports Live. There was a professional wrestling takeover Friday here in the Queen City. If you missed it, SmackDown was in town and in front of a sold-out crowd at the Spectrum Center, and the WWE did not disappoint. They announced Roman Reigns would face Charlotte native Cody Rhodes in the big WrestleMania main event this coming April. No word on when, where this leaves the returning Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the title picture. Your best bet is to tune in Fox Charlotte on Friday at 8 to see what happens next. And from the stars of today to the ones from yesteryear, a lot of familiar faces came to the Queen City just prior to SmackDown for a big autograph signing. And it was a big reunion from guys from Mid-Atlantic Wrestling that was the pro promotion ran out of Charlotte by the Crockett family in the 70s and 80s. And among those in attendance Friday was legendary announcer David Crockett, Jimmy Ballant, Baby Doll, and the head line man himself, Sarge Sergeant Slaughter. It's been a crazy time for the golden age of wrestling as it's now being portrayed in TV shows like Young Rock and the movie The Iron Claw. Slaughter told us earlier this week it's weird seeing himself and his peers now being portrayed by actors. It's something to, to you know, be mimicked, you know, and it's great to always be uh, what they say uh, when you're imitated, that's the greatest form of flattery. And uh, whether they do it the right way or the wrong way, at least they're they're imitating you, which means they're they're watching you and they're a fan of yours. Hey, well, one of the C's in the ACC should probably stand for Carolina because that's where all future neutral site site championships will be held. Host cities will include Charlotte, Greensboro, Cary, Durham, and Raleigh across a variety of sports. The men's basketball conference championship will be at the Spectrum Center in 2025. The most immediate ones in the Queen City, though, that would be men's and women's lacrosse and tennis. And we've got the ACC baseball championship returning to Truist Field as well from May 21st through the 26th. Well, while Truist Field it will be anticipating that big tournament and the Charlotte Knights season, which starts at home April 2nd, by the way, the ballpark was host to a different kind of event over the weekend. For the second year in a row, Truist Field hosted a sports card show. And just as always, it had a little something for everyone. Everything from Pokemon cards to Funko Pops and, of course, 
cards from all sports. Some were affordable, but if you were really looking to make an investment, you know, the kind that might get you in trouble at home, well, they had that too. I do know in the, for a fact in the room, they're both Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle rookies that easily excess of $10,000 a piece. Um, needless to say, they're not plentiful, right? But there are some here. Um, and they're really spe special, to be quite honest. There's some Cy Young cards floating around that are multiple thousand. You know, there's some big stuff. And we have it on good authority that our very own Mike Lissette may have spent a significant amount of his paycheck there as well. <laughs> I don't doubt well. that at all. <laughs> all right, well, I don't know if these guys are getting a crown, but they sure threw one heck of a party at the <laughs> Phoenix Open. So much so that the Scottsdale Corps had to close the gates around 2 p.m. on Saturday due to crowd control. They also suspended the sale of alcohol to try and encourage people to leave. I mean, just what an absolute scene. We've got more of the best scenes in sports coming up on the other side when we close out our show with our TV crowd. We'll be right back. All right, back here on Charlotte Sports Live. So this was Travis Kelsey walking into the Super Bowl today. and. I don't jacket. know if you remember if you saw me a couple minutes ago, but we did not plan this. We had no you it's know, your jacket. communication, but I got in to do the 6 o'clock today, and our producers go, oh, my gosh, you're matching Travis Travis Kelsey. I was like, well, there you go. I love but, that. Uh, he had, that was a good part of his day, but he had a not-so-good moment. Well, I mean, he ended, he started and he ended his day very well, a Super Bowl champion. But this was, uh, I'm going to give this, can I give it an anti-crown yellow? Yeah, I did not like this at all. Reed? I mean, 480 Reed, like that's some force going at that. But I will say the positive part of all this, Grace, is that we now have a new meme to talk about. And I love this one because people are saying like, that meme is like my kids telling me, I'm telling them to go to bed and that's what their yeah. reaction is. So I mean, I love not the his internet. best moment, but at least he looked good. And I think I look good. I think you look good. Yeah, we, right. We've been matching a lot more. We're not Super Bowl champs, though. That's We're not. But maybe soon. But congratulations to all the Swifties. <laughs>